0: Very good, thank you, Michael. For uh, if, by the way, if you don't know, Michael's our online campus pastor. I've introduced him before, and I think you, many of you already know that. But if you ever like watch the service streaming or whatever, he's the pastor for overseas. All that kind of neat stuff. So, hey, as we uh, as we jump into a new year, it never hurts to remind ourselves what we're trying to do with this whole thing. Man challenge is this for real, guys? Trying to be real men. You know, this isn't. Um, We're not trying to be Navy SEALs here, uh, but we don't want to be couch potatoes either. We don't want to be just passive guys that just sort of take it as it comes. We want to really, this is a space where we think about what does it mean to be a man? What's it mean to be a man in our relationships? What's it, if if you're married, what's it mean to be a man after God's own heart in your own marriage? If you're a dad, what's that mean for you to be a man that honors God as a father All of us have some sort of work that we're called to, so what does it look like to be a person who wants to honor God in our work? And so that's a challenge. That really is a challenge because there's all kinds of forces that speak into what does it mean to be a man. It was easier for our fathers and our grandfathers' generation. There was a simpler definition of what a man was and what a man wasn't. And today, you could be a man, and uh, there, there are a lot of multiple choices in our culture today that say this is just, this is what a man is, and it's dizzying. So it is a challenge to be a man, and we come here to challenge one another to be men. So we're not here to just, uh, you know, be soft, passive guys, but we're not also here to encourage each other to become brutes and jerks. This is a, a place for us to really ask, what's God have to say about what does it mean to be a man? And so just being here, you're accepting that challenge. That's a very, very cool thing and uh format and ground rules it's just helpful to remember this is i teach for part of the time sometimes i run on and teach longer than i plan to teach but one way or another we're out of here at 7 45 a.m i reserve time for table discussion so if you've been here you know that but if you're new just just be aware we have some table discussion that's why there's discussion questions on that handout and uh just a few ground rules no table hogs you know if if you find yourself dominating the conversation. Uh, and other people aren't talking, that's not a good thing. You're being a table hog, so don't be a table hog. Um, This isn't a place where any of us know everything. So even if you know a lot, ratchet it back, because this is a place where we all have something to contribute when we get to that discussion time. And because it is 2020, and I'm not sure if you're aware of it, apparently this is an election year. Who knew? Uh, Let's keep politics in the parking lot, because there's enough of that. And I don't know about you, I'm exhausted by it, I like to have a little space in my life where that's just not the topic. But if you go out for coffee afterwards with some of the guys and want to talk, whatever, that's okay. But here, let's kind of keep this a, a politics-free zone. Nothing wrong with talking about it, but right here, we don't need that. And, uh, and none of us will have it all together. So let's not pretend that we do. Let's remain uh, teachable. Let's remain approachable and uh, keep, keep uh, really, uh, sometimes they say like, you know, just um, hard or tough hands, but soft hearts. And that's really masculine, is to have a a soft heart, but to have a toughness of your skin about you. And so let's keep that tough skin, but uh, let's keep uh, soft hearts. Hey, today, just uh, giving credit where credit's due, I borrow heavily from time to time in these talks from a guy named Robert Lewis, who wrote a series called Authentic Manhood. And the lesson today is I borrow very heavily from him. I adapt it, and I insert uh, scripture, but he had some terrific ideas. And so the, the problems that a guy runs into as a foundation, this is the stuff he builds up, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it out a little bit more. And in this first month or so of man challenge back this term, we're going to really dive into biblical foundations of manhood. We're going to start at the very beginning, not this morning, but in the coming weeks, we're going to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and where things got off to a good start, then turned into a rocky start, and where it goes from there. And so it's really good to return to that sort of stuff. But today we're going to kind of talk about where did the problems where do the problems emerge from as men? And so if you like to take notes and uh, copy along, this uh, first problem that we're, that we're looking at is that every man and there's a typo in, the, in your notes, you'll just notice it right away. Problem number one is, every man starts out life selfish and self-centered because, not begins, because every man is born without God. That's the first problem. We all have that problem. Every guy in this room has that problem. Every single one of us wake, we start out life as a newborn baby, selfish. How many of you have had a infant in your life? You're a parent. That kid is so selfish, right? I mean, because it comes out and it's vulnerable and it has to be selfish. If it doesn't cry, it'll starve to death or sit in a poopy diaper. So in its In its infancy, literally, we all have to communicate somehow, and the only way a baby knows how to communicate is crying, fussing. That's the way it lets you know things aren't well. However, that is also part of our soul, too. So I don't blame a baby for for crying because it's hungry, but there is a selfishness that exists in children. So when people talk about innocent kids, the only thing I can figure is they've never been around children right? If you have children in your life, you're like, we just had Christmas. And if you have small children, you probably saw this. If you have multiple small children in your house, you might be blessed with children overflowing in gratitude. Wonderful. But there's always in many of our homes that after Christmas wrapping, unwrapping moment, where the kids kind of look around at the gifts and you know what they're thinking because when you were a kid, you thought it too. They got more than I did. Their gifts are more valuable than mine. And as they they get older, it gets more serious to the point where adults sue one another over settling mom and dad's estate because someone got more than they got, or at least they perceive they got more. We are all born in a situation where selfish, we're self-centered. We see the world through our eyes. Have you ever wondered, why don't they get it? Because you're seeing the world through your own lenses. So that's like natural to ask that question. And, and because we are all born without God. Now God's around. I don't want to communicate that he's distant. What I mean is, is that we are not born with God inside of us. Even if you grew up with wonderful Christian parents, you did not inherit Christianity from them. You might have started out on a really good foundation because they love the Lord, but they, you can't inherit it. You, don't, they don't, you might get your mom's eyes and your dad's hairline, but you don't get either of their faith. You have to develop that. So you're not born with that aspect. We might all be potential children of God in one sense, and we might be all children of God in in some sense, but you don't really become a son of the Lord until you give your life to him. And that's a decision you make, but that's not a decision your parents can make. And some of us as parents know that all too well because we're like, oh, please, 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 I want you to have this. And the kid's like, I'd rather have something else. And so it is with this first problem. Every man starts out. Here's the scripture. It's uh, Romans 5.12. I put it down there in uh, brackets, and you can make note of that and look it up if you want to. This is what the Apostle Paul, early church leader, said. He said, sin entered the world because one man sinned. Who's the one man? Adam. First guy created. We'll talk about this next week. But the first guy created sinned. And when he sinned, now here's what's interesting. And we'll again, we'll unpack this a little more next week. The first person who sinned technically would have been Eve, except she's not given responsibility for the first sin. Adam is. And so the, because sin entered through Adam and because of that, death is a result because of that sin. So we all become literally spiritually deadened. We're born spiritually deadened. That's our, that's our precondition. And, of course, we are born very mortal and very fragile. Not God's intent, but that's what we are born because of the sin. And so, we, you know, we see this playing out in all kinds of ways. We, I'm in a small group. How many of you are in a small group outside of this? You know, it's a, I recommend it. So my family, we're in a, a kind of a family small group. And one of the families in our small group, they have a little cute three-year-old boy. And he is adorable. I mean, he really is adorable. And there's times where you're like, he doesn't sin. And over Christmas, I have, we, have a, we, had a, we had two different Christmas trees in our house because we love the birth of Jesus that much. And, uh, and so one of the trees was dedicated to toy train ornaments. I won't bore you with the whole story how that happened, but we have a tree that just has, it's loaded down with toy train ornaments. And this little three-year-old was fascinated with it. And he was over at our house a couple times, and he would take the ornaments off the tree that he could reach, and I didn't care, and he would play with them. And you know what that little guy tried to do? He tried to pocket those trains on his way out of my house. Twice. In fact, I even told him, "I'm like, hey, don't try to steal my stuff." And he looks at me, and of course, I was having fun with him and telling him, "Don't steal my stuff." But it was he? You know, he's not some vile, wicked little sinner. You know, he wasn't thinking, "I'm going to shiv somebody later today in preschool." You know, that's not what he's thinking. He's just thinking, "I want that. I like it. I, I don't understand why I can't have it," and so. He just, and fortunately he wasn't good at thieving because I saw him try it, you know. We all could have like pocketed it way better and no one would ever be the wiser. I'm not saying any of us would do that. But but this is the problem. Okay, that's problem number one. Then let's get to problem number two. Oh, connection lost. Here we go. Oh, Brett and I were just talking about how great technology is. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be the remote. Problem number two. Every man gets knocked around. Every one of us. Every one of us gets knocked around. There isn't a guy, no matter how you're Prince William and Prince Harry, every man gets knocked around and gets hurt as he grows up. It's inevitable. This is the condition every guy finds himself in. And we see this in Genesis 37. The uh, great patriarch, his name's Joseph. He's one of 12 brothers. And if, you, if you've been around the church, you might have heard this story before, maybe new to you, but he's, uh, he has 12, uh, 11 other uh, brothers. And, uh, and he has a vision. And in his vision, there's, uh, there's all these um, uh, uh, stars that bow down to him. And he goes and he tells his brother, I had this vision that you guys were all stars and they bowed down to me. And if you were the brother, how would you feel? Yeah, you wouldn't be thrilled. And then he has another dream that he's like out in the field and all the stalks and the wheat and everything. They bow down. And this time he not only tells his brothers, but he also tells his dad. And it says in in 37.10, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And he said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. And Joseph should have had a journal. That's the kind of thing he just, that's it. If you have a dream where you become the boss of the company, it's probably best not to go in today to the company and tell your supervisor, I had this crazy dream that I was your boss. And that's a good one just to just write down in a journal. And then if it comes true, you share it you know, apparently Governor Stitt recently spoke at one of the major universities uh, for their commencement, and he shared that uh, when he was, I guess, in graduate school or something like that, he had a list of all things he hoped to accomplish business-wise, but one of the things he had hoped to accomplish was be governor, and he shared this, that they, this was a vision of his. That's a good thing to share after your governor. That, that would have been impertinent to share before your governor, right? So, Joseph, he shares with his brothers, I'm going to be the leader of this clan, or at least in my vision, my dream. And, and so if you know the story, the brothers aren't too keen on him. They have a debate of whether to kill him, and instead they do him the favor of just selling him into slavery. He ends up in a good house with a good job as a slave in Egypt, except the master's wife takes a physical liking to him and wants to have uh, sexual intimacy with him. And uh, slaves back then, that was part of Slavery actually that that wasn't necessarily uh, out of bounds in some of those households except Pharaoh's boss wanted to keep Mrs. Uh, not Pharaoh's boss uh, the Joseph's boss wanted to keep his wife to himself as most men prefer and so uh, Joseph denied her and he ends up imprisoned wrongly accused of something he didn't commit and he gets knocked around he gets beat up. And by the end of the story, he's like prime minister, and guess who's bowing down to him? His brothers and his dad. I mean, that's how it ends up. But on the road, on that pathway, there is a lot of beating. How many of you at some point in your life feel like, I got knocked around? I mean, it should be all of us in this room. And sometimes we get kind of this crazy idea that only we got knocked around, or that we had it worse than somebody else. And that's just not the case. It's not the case we see in scripture. It's not the case we see in history. And if we're really open and ask around, we realize, you know, this is a problem that every guy endures, is getting kind of beat up, knocked around at some point. Well, problem number three is left unaddressed. If all that's true, you don't have God in your life, and all you can think about is all the bad stuff that's happened to you, then left unaddressed, a young man's self-centeredness and woundedness give him excuse to amplify his bad behavior. We've all seen it, and some of us have done it. Because of things that have happened, we go, I have the right to do this. Now, we probably don't say it quite like that, but it's something akin to that. Proverbs 29, just the first half of verse 6, says an evil man is ensnared in his transgression. And that is a word picture. It's the idea of a guy being caught in a net. So an evil guy in his own sin is caught in his own sin. In his own broken condition, he ends up getting kind of twisted up in the net of his own thing. And so, so you, you, you grow up in a home where dad is constantly kind of going, not good enough. Could be better. Could be better. No, It doesn't matter what you bring home. You bring home an A minus. He's like, why wasn't it an A? Would it have taken a little more to get you to the A? You, you, uh, you're on the, you know, whatever's the sport team, and you're a starter. And he wonders, you know, you probably could have made that score if you would have been a little more assertive. And dad thinks he's being a good coach. And in fact, compared to his dad, he's being an excellent coach because his dad was like, you're worthless. You know, so he thinks because he, you know, is a boomer or whatever. He thinks, wow, I'm ahead of the curve, encouraging my son to succeed a little bit more. But all you hear is not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. You go to college and you think, I'm, I got I to gotta bust it here because everything I do is not good enough. You get, to, you, you get your start in your career and you go, not good enough. And so you put in extra hours, you get there early, you stay late, and it works. And you're rewarded for that extra, extra effort. And before you know it, 10, 15, 20 years later, relationships have evaporated, there's trouble at home, because all you've done is throw yourself into work. And this is a, like, this is a lot of men's story. That's what the, like, the recipe for workaholism is usually, hey, that's not quite good enough. And so the guy ends up just busting it. So in his brokenness he twists in the brokenness. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with putting in extra hours and hard work. We've all done that. But when that's the driver if if the whisper in the back of your mind is not good enough, the wound from back there and it plays out, it can produce all kinds of stuff. A guy who a guy who just can't deal with the emotions of pain that he's experienced, he'll turn to alcohol. I'm amazed at how many dispensaries for marijuana you think that everybody in this city now is smoking weed. And I don't understand it. I mean, I understand there's different people who have real pain and they're trying to figure out how to deal with real pain. But I have a sneaking suspicion, based upon the number that are popping up around town, that it has moved past I have a chronic pain condition and it's turned into something else. That's my suspicion. That what it is is we live in a culture that just deadens pain. We deaden it through shopping. We deaden it through alcohol. We're now deaden it through byproducts of marijuana. But what is it? It's it's, it's a pain. It hurts. I don't like it, and so I'm I'm gonna run away from it, and I'm gonna jump into this sort of stuff. I twist in the net of my own sin. I have a brokenness, and I'm not talking about the sin like. You go out and you violate somebody type of sin. I'm talking about the sin that happens in our, we end up broken. We end up messed up. And in our messed up, we twist in more of our messed up. Well, that's problem number three. And if that wasn't encouraging enough, let's look at problem number four. <laughs> These are fun. Problem number four is because, because he can't or won't examine the forces. Now, this is a real problem. And this is why we're here is we're, we're here to sort of ask, is to explore, is to dive in and, and, and to examine these forces. But a man who won't or can't examine the forces, nobody showed him how, he's not in a place to know how, when he doesn't know the forces that drive him, he blames other people and circumstances for his problems. It's not, it's not his fault, it's someone else's fault. This just perpetuates a cycle of hurt. So it just keeps on going. Over the um, Christmas holiday, I took my girls over to Penn Square Mall because I, I had ordered something at Macy's. And so I, I thought, well, I'll get, uh, I'll, we'll walk around the mall, do a little light shopping. We'll swing by Macy's. And on our way to Macy's, we hear what sounds like, like a, a, a sheet of plywood or a piece of steel hit the ground, like very loud. And there's this moment where the mall goes silent. And then it was followed by three more of those. So, that's when I realized there's a gun and someone's shooting. So we were, we were just below that action. We were kind of kitty corners. We were about 100 feet from that. And I've never seen people, sc- I mean, the amount of screaming and running. People who aren't built for speed set new track records. <laughs> and, you know, we can laugh about it now because we, we know that it was a, a gang-on-gang crime. It was two gang members who kind of had an interaction with each other that turned very unpleasant. And uh, and it was terrifying. And uh, I won't over dramatize it because especially on this end, I know what happened. So I'm not going to make it sound bigger. But in the moment, in the heat of the moment, there was this I'm in a I'm in an active shooter situation. People are are going to die. People are going to die today, and we're here. Like, and if we don't get out of here, we're going to be people that die today. And so there was this: get my girls out of the mall. I was ready to go through a brick wall to get them out. I had, as a dad, I at that moment I shift into get my girls out of this mall. And so we got out, and then of course later we discover what the situation is. I bring this up because when um, I, I kind of have been trying to keep up and up on the news story, and guess what? It's nobody's fault is, is the, the guy who pulled out the gun and shot the guy it was in self defense. The fact that he walked another 20 feet and fouled the guy and shot him three more times or tried to shoot him three more times, that apparently was also self defense. I'm not sure the jury will see it that way. But but here's why I bring that up. I I will promise you that guy can't even examine the forces in his life that drive him into that life. And this is one of the people who do uh, ministry amongst gang members. Uh, one of the hardest parts is to get people who are in gangs or in that sort of lifestyle to to understand and to examine why am I doing this what what is it that's I'm only going to perpetuate this I'm only going to make this worse in my life I'm only going to make this worse for everybody around me Why, why don't and we who are apart from it and live in suburbia and grew up in nice homes and went to pretty good schools we're like why are those crazy people doing that well they don't they, they, they don't have the fortitude or they don't have the, even the ability to examine the forces that drive. So they blame. We do the same thing. We just do it from our vantage point about whatever our issues are. So it's always easier to look at someone else and go, that guy really should examine what's driving him. We should examine what's driving us. And, uh, if for this is Genesis 26, 27, just make note of it. This is, uh, the altercation between um, Esau and Jacob and Esau blames his brother. Esau's super hungry one day, and he's like, I will, I will give you the birthright. You'll be the firstborn son. They're twin brothers, and Esau's firstborn. He's like, I will give you the status of firstborn son if you make me a nice meal. Now, that guy's an idiot, okay, to make that deal. And then Jacob is a bit of a conniver. He's like, let's shake on that. And then when Jacob collects on the selling of the birthright, Esau's really upset, and guess what? He wants to kill his brother. So because of the problems between the two brothers, Jacob has to move uh uh, you know days 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 weeks uh march away from esau to save his own skin and as a result he never sees his mother again the family becomes goes from dysfunctional to hyper dysfunctional flies apart there's a lot of carnage family-wise as a result of all of that and nobody stops esau doesn't go you know what this is my fault really truly i'm a very guttural oriented fellow And I I shouldn't have made that deal with Jacob, but I did make the deal fair and square. And there's enough of dad's estate that it's going to work out. And Jacob, it's more important to me to have you here as my brother, have our kids as cousins hanging out with each other. What is all this fighting about? We don't need this. I don't want to kill you. You don't want to kill me. That would have been a different story. That story is sort of like the Disney story. This is why I believe the Bible stories, because if if that would have been the story, you're like, that's a Disney movie. But when you read that story, you're like, that's a real story. That's what happened. I know people like that, or I live that, you know. And so it is here in Genesis 26 and 27. And because a guy can't examine himself, he, he ends up blaming all of his problems, his situations on, on others. And then that leads to problem five, is that men will refuse to admit the truth about themselves. Because guys won't admit that this is the condition that we're in, and they'll do anything to escape Isaiah 57:21 says, There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I love it. No peace for the wicked. I actually say that sometimes in my household to my children, you know, when, they're, when things aren't going well, I'm like, Well, there's no peace for the wicked. Must be a sin you're not confessing. And um, I'm only kind of kidding. No, I'm mostly kidding. Uh, but there's, there, this is what happens, is what, what the prophet is saying. Is that uh, for the person who lives in a pattern of of spiritual unhealth and physical unhealth and relational unhealth, there won't be peace. You won't experience peace. And so, uh, as a result of a man escaping, for instance, into drugs and alcohol, at first it's an escape, he makes it even worse because he can no longer function. He can no longer show up to work, he can no longer drive. The guy, this is one of the most, this is the craziest thing. And and in a a few months, we're going to talk about a guy and sexuality. We're going to, because that's an important topic for us men to talk about. But one of the craziest outcomes of pornography is that uh, as a man engages in pornography, is that he doesn't enjoy sex anymore, like as it is. So it's sort of like if, if you watch too much of the food channel and you don't enjoy eating afterwards, you just, you just watch the food channel over and over and you click through like gifs or gifs of, of people eating food and you're like, man, that looks awesome. But for whatever reason, you don't think to go make yourself food in the kitchen or the food that you consume. You're like, this just isn't very good because you watch Bobby Flay make some awesome dish. And this is one. But as a man escapes, it, a guy escapes into pornography to start with for various reasons And then the twist of that is it gets worse because the guy doesn't actually enjoy the thing he was seeking to enjoy even more. Or a guy gets deep into hobbies, hunting, sports, whatever, and that becomes his greatest efforts, his most creative efforts. He, He pulls off, he takes his foot off the gas at work, and his work suffers, his relationships suffer, but man, his hobbies are awesome. And he is really dialed in on that sort of stuff. So that's problem five: is men will refuse to admit the truth about themselves. So, so uh, they will do anything; they'll do anything to escape. And that passage from Isaiah is a very challenging. One, and then uh, problem number six is over time, a man will become a sad caricature. You know what a character is? It's sort of like a, you know, if a, a political cartoonist, they'll draw, you know, Donald Trump with his hair, you know, or they'll they'll. Uh, back in the '60s, it was uh, you know, a very elongated face of Lyndon. Uh, Johnson, President Johnson, but a char- you know what a character is. So over time, a man will become like a sad character. He'll become kind of this warped vision, this warped view of what he once was. And uh, Ephesians four seventeen to 19 is, is so good. He, Paul says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's not talking about just He's talking about Gentiles without Christ. And he's saying, don't live in futile thinking like they live. They're darkened and they just don't know any better because they're, they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Because they don't have God, they're ignorant of God. And then because they don't know God, their hearts become more hardened around what they do believe. And so they can't even hear what God has for them. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. And as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're just, they're full of greed, Paul says. It's just sort of this all-encompassing, like here's what happens. There's this pathway that a guy ends up going down, a person ends up going down. And so this is what happens is over time, if a guy doesn't deal with it, he ends up being kind of this weird picture of himself. And we all know those guys. You know, it's, um, he becomes, uh, you know, we know the guy that, it becomes like that, uh, either jaded and cynical. He once was like a he once was like a real uh, passionate soul, and now he just constantly is like nothing works. They're all imbeciles, you know. There's that guy, or he becomes the character. Look at like a sensuality, you know, the guy who's the flirt when he's uh, you know in his twenties. By the time he's in his forties, he's a bit of a cad, and by the time he's his, in his sixties, he's just a dirty old man. And we all know guys like that. You know, they're making comments about women's figures, and you're like, dude, that could be your granddaughter. You're a sicko. And for all of us who are younger, that should give us pause. Like, that didn't happen overnight. That guy started out a flirt in his his youth, and then he ends up kind of like a little bit, you know, a little bit kind of like a cad, raunchy in his middle years. And by the time he's in his later years, he's just a dirty old man. And... He didn't, in his 20s, he made fun of the dirty old man. Now he's the dirty old man. And it's sick, but it starts somewhere. And a a guy over time, if he doesn't stop and go, you know what, I should really treat women with dignity and respect. And they are more than just sexual objects. And it's one thing to admire the beauty of a woman. It's another thing to constantly uh, comment on her, her physical appearance because that's a degradation to her or to the other women in my life. And over time, I... You know, I, 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 for one, don't want to be that guy in his 60s that is that kind of a guy. I want my kids and my grandkids to be like, we love being around Dad. He's encouraging, he's affirming, he's mature. I don't want to be that, the guy that the kids go, yeah, don't be. I had that grandpa, by the way. That was part of my, my, my dad's dad um, loved to give women the side boob jiggle. He would, he, when he met a woman in his 70s and 80s, he would come up and, and it was as if it was an accident. Oh, he's it, so nice. And one arm would go on the shoulder. And I never noticed it until I brought my wife or my fiance to meet him. And it was Karen who told me. He reaches up and just to the side of the torso, so not making quite contact. And just a little jiggle right here. I, I, never, I never even knew it was a thing. My wife explained that there are dirty men that do this. And, and, and I wanted, I, after that, I was like running interference anytime that, you know, my grandpa was, and, and, and that was that I, I took note of that. And I'm like, I would rather be dead. I would literally rather die early than be that guy. I'd rather just keel straight over in my youth than be a dirty old man that people, I don't want my, I don't ever want my grandchildren to tell a story about me. Like I just told you about my grandfather. I would rather never be in a situation like that. And so it is with men. All right, so what do we do? All right, that's, that's, if that didn't depress you enough, okay, (laughs) you're like, great, it is so encouraging to get up early for it, at least the coffee wasn't bad. So um, step one is to admit you are the problem. All right, we're used to, you know, the 12-step program says admit you have a problem, and that is true, Um, but really, Part of it is to admit you are the problem. Second Peter, this is in the third chapter, Peter says this, the Lord is slow. In fact, I used this verse this past weekend in preaching. The Lord is not slow, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slown- slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to have everyone come to repentance. So he, what he wants to see is he wants, God wants to see change in our life. He knows us better than we know us. We're not trying to get, the key is some guys think I got to get cleaned up before I come to God. No, you can't. So don't try. You come to God as you are. And part of what we admit is it's not just the, the problems that exist apart from us. The problem is actually deep in our soul. I mean, we were born with a, we were born with a major problem and we have to start out and go, I am the problem. The problem is, is deep down inside of me. Which leads to step two, which is quit hiding, start repenting. It is a natural thing to hide as a man. I, I, my wife tells me, used to tell me, she tells me I've gotten a little bit better. So that's somewhat encouraging. But she would say, you know, you cope, you don't deal with problems. And when she first told me that, I said, well, well, thank you, you know. That's quite an accomplishment. I'm glad I can cope with these things. You know, That's, well, all, the, that's all we can hope for sometimes. And she's like, no, you've got to deal with them, not just cope with them. In other words, don't just coexist with the problem. Root it out and deal with it. And I thought it was good enough to just sort of put it in a box and put it up on a shelf. I, say all the, I joke all the time, one of the greatest things God gave men is the art of compartmentalization, the ability to put an issue in a box, put it up on a shelf, and then put that in a storage unit somewhere. That's awesome. Women dis- usually disagree. They, don't have, they, they could use some compartmentalization skills. But, but what we've got to do is quit hiding. We've got to quit compartmentalizing stuff and start repenting. This is what Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. So it doesn't work when you hide. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Isn't that a good one? That's encouraging. I mean, we can take anything to God and we will find mercy. If we if we try to hide it from him, it doesn't work if we bring it to him. So that leads to step number two, and that's turn to God. Step number two is turn to God. And this is uh James uh, James four seven through eight. In fact, James four uh really six through ten, that would be a great that was one of the early passages of scripture I memorized. To, to try to help me resist temptation and resist sin. And this is a really terrific passage of Scripture. What uh, James says, he starts out, "...submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you." And one of these, we'll probably just take this section of James and unpack it, because there is there's so much in here. But James says, so the first thing you do is you submit yourself to God, you resist the devil, and when you do that, the devil takes off. And then you draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And this is, this is one of the hardest tasks for a guy is to ask for help. It's hard to ask for help from another guy. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever like, loaded up lumber or something in, in the Home Depot parking lot. And you could have big, heavy four-by-eight sheets of something. And if a guy comes by and he's like, you want a hand? You're like, no! You know, I'd rather herniate a disc than get help from a total stranger. I want him to think as he's going into the store, now that's a man. He refused help. But, you know, when it comes to our spiritual condition, it's more important than plywood. And what we, what we desperately need is to be honest and to turn to God, which then is step number four. Be honest. Be honest about the pain. This is And this one's a toughie right here as men. Be honest about the pain you have experienced, but also be honest about the pain you've inflicted. And that one, the second one's harder than the first one. It, it's easier to get to a place to say, um, because uh, because of the way my dad raised me or my mom raised me, because of the wounds of my childhood or what have you, it's that's easy to like look at that and and sort of own up to that. It's much harder to go because of that I've inflicted some pain on other people. And how James writes this, this is uh, eight and ten of James four. He says, "Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. So it's the idea of like literally get taking a bath. Um, grieve, mourn, and wail. Now, that's interesting because we're sort of used to the idea of I've confessed my sin, God's forgotten my sin, I have a clean slate so I can start sinning again. No, that's not what we really say. Sometimes that's what happens, but that's not what we mean. But it's like, oh, it's all lifted. And what James says is there's a place where grieving, mourning, wailing, crying, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up and there's an important place in our lives for us to be to to really grieve and to own up for the pain we've caused others and uh i i um i have served now over 20 years as a pastor and in 2011 I was serving a great church in Louisville, Kentucky, but I was depressed. I was frustrated in the work. I was, there was a, a, it's its own long and dull story, but I was, at, I was at the end of my rope. And so I just, in a meeting with my boss, told him that I was going to look around for another job. Have you, any of you ever done that? Have any of you ever done that, but not have told your wife you were going to do that? Yeah, that was me. So then I expected my wife to go, you are such a brave man of faith. But she lives with me, so she knew it wasn't coming out of a brave man of face mouth. She knew it coming out of a depressed guy, angry at sort of the system and frustrated. And so what I ended up doing accidentally is inflicting pain on my family. And for the next few years, it worked out. It had. It did work out. And, and it's worked out pretty well. However, however, it hasn't been without hurt and pain on my family. And so I had to, a couple years ago individually with each member of my family apologize that my my drive in life combined with not dealing with stuff now this is coming from the mouth of a minister right so some of you are like must be nice to be a pastor well pastors can be just as driven they can be just as sort of overwhelmed by situations we can be depressed we can be frustrated uh you know we we can have career aspirations just like anybody else in any other profession and if you're not careful, if the driving forces are dark and sinister, guess what? You'll inflict a lot of pain. And so step four is to be honest about that pain that you have inflicted. And then the final step, step number five, is live as a new man. Live as a new man. Is when you've gone through all that, when you've gone through those steps, you, you do recognize you, you are a new man. You're a new, what Paul says, and if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old, gone, new has come. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is a big theme in all of Paul's writings, is Paul Paul had, doesn't have an expectation that people would be perfect, but constantly he just comes back to again and again and again. Through the power of Christ living in you, you can be a different person. And so live like a new man. We, we, have, we have to grab onto the fact that we are new. So a mature man is not going to act, uh, is going to act. He's not going to react. He's not going to just uh, he's not just going to uh, ignore the wounds. He's going to stare those wounds down. He's going re- to recognize in life we all take knocks and we all get, uh, we all get uh, some pain inflicted on us. But that's no excuse. That doesn't give us freedom to just go ahead and act against others or to act impulsively. We ought to be principle-centered men that have a biblical foundation for what we do. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll be at the tables. God, thanks for our discussion this morning. And as we turn to discussions, help us have open hearts to one another. Help us have uh, discussions that truly uh, uh, enliven our spirituality and our commitment to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.